Nothing does matter, right? Nothing really matters in today's day. So today I'm going to take you on a trip to just see how long this has been going on, how long this fight has been. You're going to say, well, what's the point of saying it now? I could have said it last year. could have said it a year ago. Well, not to the people because it doesn't matter what you would say. See, this whole control of virus thing had to happen in order for you to have some merit to say something anyway. So today I'm going to show you how one name, well, it's a name of a place, is actually two places. And one of them has a lot of murders. I mean, we could forgive, right? We could totally not pay attention to filling out false forms to get weapons, right? We can forgive the hookers and the crack. We can forgive using secret service at your beck and call. We can forgive selling off your nation to the highest bidder. We can forgive all of this crazy stuff that is not forgivable. But what about murder? Allegedly. Like, what if there's this place, right? This one place where body parts, <laughs> they're all girls, turn up, right? Every, almost every year, right? And they're really quiet because when reaching out with the local police, you know, they're like, yeah, but we don't know because they're so bad. You know, we never find them. <laughs> See, a lot of people say, well, you have insider knowledge. Well, the insider knowledge you're going to hear about today, they all have. <laughs> Every single one that has part of the one of the imaged computers that Hunter has. Because I want you to know, he had a lot of computers. And not only that, he also lost his phone a lot at crack houses in California. Forgot his phone in freaking Dubai. Someone got a hold of that shit and mirrored it. I don't know who did it. I'm just saying. Okay. So there's a lot out there that they already have. So as we wait and we sit, I think it's about time we rally up Kansas. You're going to be like, what? This place is in Kansas? Wait. <laughs> wait. Because what you have to do is understand where I'm taking you before you get it. So, I mean, how okay are we with this whole murder thing? Potential murder thing. Oh, yeah. Well, you need, well, 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 well. Let's just say. Let's just remind ourselves something that Stalin had done. And maybe this will help you understand how murder and famine are coming out from a place that's named the same thing. So weird. So weird. And then where it's going to go, it's named like another place that looks like hell right now. So incredible. Take a listen. In terms of ruthlessness, uh, bloodlust, Stalin remains one of the greatest villains of the 20th century. Yosef Jukashvili was born on December 18, 1879. He later changed his name to Stalin, meaning man of steel. Stalin had a very harsh childhood in terms of poverty, and he had a tough life as a young man, and was very quickly 
attracted to radical movements and causes. Between 1902 and 1913, Stalin was imprisoned eight times by the Russian secret police. Stalin's rise to power started after the Russian Revolution of 1917, when the Bolsheviks deposed the Tsar and created a communist society. Lenin died in 1924, and there was a big struggle about the succession of Lenin. Stalin eventually took over in a very complex maneuver that really showed his master skills as a manipulator of men. Under Stalin, Russia became the second largest uh, industrial economy in the world. It was all planned economies, five-year plans, and if you didn't play by his rules, you went off to a labor camp, and, or you were summarily executed in, in some fashion. Three million kulaks died as a result of Stalin's policies in the early 1930s. Now, he did increase the amount of food that was being produced, but at what cost? During what many historians term Stalin's reign of terror, no one was safe from his ambition. His forced industrialization led to countless millions of deaths and the worst man-made famine in human history. Just before World War II. So communists find that power comes if you can create scenarios and uh, famines. Oh, you think that's not something that you should worry about? Well, what did we learn so far in this day and age? What have we learned about, you know, things that go bump in the night or, I don't know, laboratories? What did we learn? What have we learned? We've learned that they're not really safe. We've learned that there's a lot of problems. Well, let me introduce you to some stuff. And now we're going to be going back and forth between Hunter and this. Because you're going to get it. You're going to see just how right under your nose they've been doing this. Uh, someone had asked a question in Kansas when this was brought up in a public meeting. And they said, oh, we, we, well, this was planned way before 9-11. <laughs> but the news were only talking about it in 2008. And then Congress, Congress, Congress snuck it in the omnibus in 2019. What? Let me take you on a trip. I want you to learn about one of the U.S. government's top secret bioweapons labs. I want you to see what happened there. I want you to feel what happened there. Because Kansas, I hope you're on ready. Because I'm going to tell you now, they're not pushing these impossible burgers. They're not buying up all this land for anything but this. <laughs> and this is all going to come full circle and you're going to so we need Kansas on ready today. You need to send out those emails like nobody's business. In 1968, about 6,000 sheep died near this government facility. They were poisoned by a chemical weapon named VX. The U.S. hasn't been known to actively use VX in combat. In fact... It's begun destroying its stockpile of chemical munitions as part of a UN treaty. But it's just one of many strange and secretive experiments that happened within these walls. Experiments on sheep, mosquitoes, and even civilians. About 85 miles southwest of Salt Lake City is the U.S. government's top secret bioweapons lab. It's called the Dugway Proving Ground. 
The 77-year-old facility covers about 800,000 acres. That's just a little larger than the entire state of Rhode Island. And it tests some of the deadliest chemical, biological, radiological, and explosive hazards on Earth. Less famous than Area 51, Dugway dates all the way back to 1942, right in the middle of World War II. When the The government needed a large area to test powerful weapons, eventually settling on this stretch of land in the Utah desert. Back then, the site was used to test everything from chemical sprays and flamethrowers to various antidotes and protective equipment, and even firebombing. After World War II, Dugway mostly shut down until the Korean War began in 1950. That's when the proving ground turned into what it is today, a permanent military base. In Dugway's first few decades, the base worked mostly on offensive weaponry, biological and chemical munitions designed to directly attack enemies. Sampling devices positioned throughout the test area yield valuable information to chemical core researchers. The 1950s, for example, saw the launch of Operation Big Itch, an experiment that was testing weaponized fleas. The fleas weren't infected with any type of disease or agent, but experimenters were working with thousands of them, and the fleas were dropped in cluster bombs to gauge if they would survive the fall from an airplane. And this was only part one. Dugway launched a second experiment called Project Bellwether in the 1960s. Only this time, mosquitoes were injected with inert diseases, inert bacteria, and inert viruses. But get this, those mosquitoes were released upon several groups of human volunteers who were bitten again and again during the trials. And there are records dating back to the late 1950s, which describe experiments that used infected mosquitoes. And those are just two experiments known to the public. Exactly what goes on at Dugway is, well, pretty unclear. And that's not by accident. The area is intensely guarded. Everything that comes in and out is carefully monitored, guards are on constant patrol and actively armed, and the perimeter is lined with tall barbed wire fencing. There are even signs that authorize deadly force when necessary. Since the 1940s, officials say operations have shifted from offensive to defensive tactics. Case in point, most of the current known work prepares agents to defend against potential biological and chemical attacks. For example, a multitude of training programs are held on site for the armed forces. Here's one in which Army Reserve soldiers are tasked with checking the radiation levels of artillery rounds. And here's another where soldiers were tasked with identifying substances in a simulated chemical lab. Dugway's main operations include the Brock Training Facility, constructed from various shipping containers. It simulates underground environments for military training. There are also various buildings and rooms that serve specific purposes like the decontamination testing chamber, the wind tunnel testing room, and the material test facility. But perhaps the most interesting room of all is this, the Smart Man Laboratory Facility, which houses the Smart Man Dummy, a model that's used to simulate human contact with chemical agents, including the infamous VX nerve agent. Specifically, 
The smart man helps the lab develop more effective individual protection respiratory equipment, essentially gas masks and the like. A variety of chemists, chemical analysts, and technicians work on site. And the use of airtight chambers and gas masks is not only common, but mandatory. Despite all of this dangerous experimentation, the work done at Dugway hasn't always been properly contained. Remember that sheep incident? That marked the start of a worrisome track record. It happened when overhead planes spewed out the nerve agent into the wind, accidentally sending it into nearby farmland in Skull Valley. Within the next couple of days, farmers found thousands of sheep dead in their fields. The army compensated the farmers and lent them bulldozers to bury the sheep. But the accident sparked a whole debate on the use of chemical weapons in warfare. Adding on to these questionable practices, a 1994 Senate hearing on veterans' health focused specifically on Dugway veterans and civilians. A report found that people at Dugway were exposed to biological and chemical simulants believed to be safe at the time, but that the Army had later stopped using many of them because they realized they were not as safe as previously believed. One veteran, who was accidentally sprayed in the face with the chemical DMMP in 1984, found himself wheezing and coughing the next day, symptoms that ended up lasting several weeks. Despite this, he was given only cough medicine and antibiotics by the Dugway Army Hospital. The Dugway Safety Office assured him that the chemical was safe, but by 1988, officials at Dugway had re-evaluated the simulant's danger and were concerned it could cause cancer and kidney damage. In 2011, the facility slipped up again. It went on lockdown after workers lost a vial containing the VX nerve agent. Nobody was permitted to enter or exit the facility, not even the employees. And in 2016, the CDC and the Department of Defense launched a major investigation when a review team found that Dugway had been operating dangerously for several years without the government's knowledge. USA Today reported yeah, right. egregious failures by the facility's leadership and staff. The report singled out the head colonel in command at Dugway, Brigadier General William King. The Army's accountability investigation recognized King as unqualified, lacking the education and training to effectively oversee biosafety procedures crucial to Dugway's operation. The report admonished him, saying he repeatedly deflected blame. and minimize the severity of incidents. It even says King fails to recognize how serious the incidents truly were. And how serious were the incidents exactly? Well, under King's command, the facility mistakenly shipped live anthrax to other labs. And not just once, but multiple times. For over a decade. That same report revealed that workers had been regularly and deliberately manipulating data in important records. Records meant to verify that pathogens being transported elsewhere were killed and safe for researchers to handle without protective gear. Still, the facility's shady past, secretive operations, and intense surveillance have captured the attention and skepticism of some closer observers. All right, guys. So that was recent. Do you guys remember any of that? 
Do you remember any of the, you know, uh, announcements? Did the media tell you about all these things? I mean, maybe, maybe not, right? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's recent, right? It's recent, right? Let me show you something that almost everybody has, but no one figured out. Let me see if I can get this. I'm going to show you something. Something that's going to kind of blow your mind. I did tell you that we do have some image stuff, right? So you've never seen this before. Nobody in the world has seen this publicly before. Are you ready for this? So I want you to look at this image right now. Pretty interesting image right there, right? Let me take that comment off. I want you guys to let that image sink in for just a second. Oh, look at that. So Hunter Biden is paying people through Venmo, through Venmo, which we also found out where this stuff had occurred. Now you're going to say Plum Island. Wait a minute. Did you know that there's two of them? Right. So here's Hunter Biden paying people for work, you know, and it's not small potatoes, right? 1,500, 1,200, 400. This is what we were able to rummage up. There were some things that he forgot in his cloud. So these are all, I have all this and other people do. And as I've said, as you can see up this way, we've recreated everything, everything. So it may be fuzzy because it's, uh, you know, just a share of a shot. Um, but this is it. I've got tons, right? Tons of these. No, I can't zoom in with the program that I'm using. I can't. So here we go. We've got Plum Island. Wait. You're going to be like, laboratory, hold on, hold your horses, because you're going to find out, same name, two different things. Same name, again, two different things, okay? Now we're going to go and find out what uh, Plum Island is. Give me a moment. Um, let's let's go to this one first. Here's a Here's a report from... Is this one from, this is from seven years ago. All right. Seven years ago, report. Hold on a second. Let me get to it. Seven years ago, report. Here we go. And right now, police are investigating a grim discovery on a Plum Island beach. The identity still a mystery at this hour. Good evening, everyone. Investigators are going to be closely watching the next few tide cycles for any new evidence. This Center 5's Sarah Kanji explains how the human bones were found. Police sweeping the shore along Plum Island after residents spotted what looked like human bones. Move yourself for a walk on the beach with the dog. It was little Tessa who first found the remains yesterday morning. Her owner, Bill Barrett, describes the gruesome discovery. So we walked over there and I said, no, leave it. And it was the lower half of the leg with the foot still attached and a sock on the foot. Barrett called police who collected the bones for investigation. Then late yesterday, more bones were found further down the beach. So Deputy Chief John Lucy says they launched a search to comb the area. There was a, an effort to organize a sweep of this entire area to make sure that there was nothing else. And that's what's being conducted right now. And after four hours of searching, police recovered even more remains. They plan to monitor the area during the next few tide cycles. You know, maybe it's closure for somebody. Bill Barrett says the remains he saw appeared to be an adult man. It could have been a man or a woman, but it didn't. The sock was big enough that it looked like a guy. Investigators with the DA's office, along with the 
medical examiner's office will analyze the remains to try and determine an identity and also try to figure out how they ended up here. In Newberry, Sarah Conji, WCVB News Center 5. So interesting. We're going to visit another human remain found dug up in that same area. So weird. So weird considering that Blumenthal and Hunter Biden all... Uh, go out there. And you remember that pervert that was his doctor that got arrested for molesting women and children. And, you know, he was his therapist. Yeah, they all met there. So weird. So bizarre. Wait, but there's another Plum Island you guys need to look at. And tech and, and I, I want my, um, Kansas, my Kansas peeps to be t- paying very, very close attention to this. Very close attention. So first, I think it's important for us to, um, I think that would be best. I think it's important for everyone to understand what a, um, a laboratory that... Well, let's go to that one. Let's go to New York now. Let's go to the other Plum Island, right, in New York. Let's go to that one first. I think it would be better for people so they can understand what's really happening. So we've got a lot of dead women hanging out, you know, their corpses everywhere, right, in a place where Hunter Biden used to go for shits and giggles. And now this. Less than 100 miles from New York City is Plum Island Lab. Here, the U.S. government conducts top-secret biological experiments. Most Americans are unaware of the facility, but it has been linked to an Al-Qaeda plot and an alarming past tied to Nazi scientists. Military technology expert John Gresham has been denied access to the island. Now he decides to view the lab from the air. Once airborne, it takes less than two minutes by helicopter to get from the tip of Long Island to Plum Island. Along the south side of the island are the abandoned ruins of the original lab run by the Nazi scientists. It now appears to be crumbling at the hands of the elements. It's interesting how the government just abandons the things they don't really want, but the stuff they do want to take care of, they really take good care of. Then they approach the main lab. There, John can see the measures that the government has taken to keep the facility secure. Well, you can see how much they've expanded since the 1950s. a very large receiving and storage facility over here, which they're clearly using very actively. John is left wondering if Plum Island is really the best place to keep a potentially dangerous facility. Back on the ground, John analyzes the video he shot. This is a vulnerable island. It needs to be looked at and perhaps the facility moved. The government does plan to move the bioresearch lab to a new facility that would be built in Kansas. But the plan has been stalled. In so many ways, this is not a facility that folks in this densely populated part of America should be forced to live next to. For now, Plum Island will remain open indefinitely. The danger of exposure to locals remains unchanged. 
A final decision about where to relocate this high-security government research lab on Plum Island, New York, is not expected for several months. But a new government study concludes an outbreak of foot and mouth disease would cost the U.S. economy about a billion dollars more if it occurred at a facility built near livestock herds in Kansas or Texas than it would if it happened at the current facility on Plum Island. The U.S. is looking at five possible locations for the new facility. Athens, Georgia, Manhattan, Kansas, Butner, North Carolina, San Antonio, Texas, and Flora, Mississippi. A sixth alternative not likely would be building a new research lab on Plum Island. Dr. Roger Breeze is a former director at the current facility. It seems a little odd to be thinking of locating the lab in a region where there's a lot of agricultural animals. The report also says if the research lab were built and operated according to government safety standards, the chances of such an outbreak would be extremely low. But it warns if an outbreak did occur, it could potentially be more costly than the one in Great Britain seven years ago, where losses were estimated at $5 billion. They also had mad cow's disease, didn't they? Right. Well, Manhattan, Kansas, guess what? This year, a level four bio weapons facility targeted at agriculture, right in the middle, smack in the middle, is being opened. And guess what? They've moved Plum Island right there. Oh, wait. Let's just see what else is on Plum Island and. What's going on there? What is exactly going on with Plum Island? I think it's um, it's really important. But before we do, I think it's important for us to understand and um, really think how safe our level four lab. Wasn't Wuhan a level four? That's right. Yeah, it was. So let's take a look at that. Access to biosafety level 4 labs, or BSLs, is highly restricted. Only microbiologists with specific training and who have been tested in BSL conditions are admitted. Typically, BSL research labs are housed in secure buildings. Once past the building security, it's on to a second barrier at the entrance of the laboratory suite itself. A security card or PIN number, iris scan or fingerprint may be required or some combination of them. Then it's time to strip off and gown up. This can include wearing a full one-suit that is sometimes air-fed to ensure that if there is a puncture, air leaks out and not into the suit. Walk on through an airlock and a second barrier and another security check. And then you're in the lab itself. And there it is, the glove box or isolator containing the pathogen. The glove box is held at negative pressure to the lab the lab held at negative pressure to the room outside. So if there is a leak, the air only flows one way, in. All labs are inspected regularly for even a pinhole-sized leak. So how can things go wrong? Through the air vents? Unlikely. All air passes through two H14 HEPA filters, 99.995% efficient for particles down to 0.2 microns in size. Waste disposal? Also unlikely. All waste is disposed of directly from the laboratory into an autoclave. 
which sterilizes the waste by heating it up to 134 degrees Celsius under high pressure. It then passes out of the autoclave and is usually incinerated on site. Every precaution is taken to reduce the risk of a leak or other accident. And yet, on rare occasions, they do still happen. Hmm. I wonder if Kansans uh, know this is coming. Wait, because it's really safe and where they're putting it. Super safe. Like, take a look at this. Like, this is totally normal. This happens all the time. So that was a tornado that ripped through right where they're going to be putting this laboratory that tore apart. They were flying cows in the air. Wait, there's more. There's more. That place is so safe. I mean, you know, they've got everything ready, right? Because it's going to Manhattan, Kansas, right? This is what happened when it flooded, right? This is the flood. Oh, So they get flooding too, okay? They get flooding in the area too from their creeks. So there's flooding. And the way uh, the the city is panned out. So it's just, it's nothing. It's nothing. There's no floods or tornadoes, just a few of them. Nothing that they can't fix, right? Uh, nothing. Now let's go back to Hunter Biden for a second. Let's just remember something that was told to us so nicely that people keep forgetting. I think it's very important to listen to this speech because it's quite telling, quite telling. We're going to be going back and forth between both Plum Islands to build thousands of houses in Iraq, Joe Biden's close family member, who you guessed it, had no experience in the industry and no experience in Iraq. A company official bragged that it helps to have a family member, the vice president as partner. The family member put it more bluntly by saying there's a line of 747s filled with cash ready to invest. Now let's follow the money down south. Again, as reported in the press, yet another close family member of Joe's set his sights on Costa Rica and Jamaica, where millions of dollars flowed from the Obama-Biden administration in taxpayer-backed loans to projects linked to, yes, that same family member. These aren't isolated incidents. It is a deliberate pattern of conduct. And that's just what he did as vice president. Imagine what he'd do as president. How many American families would be allowed to get away with this? Why should there be one standard for the elite political class and another set of rules for the rest of us? When millions of Americans voted for Donald Trump, they knew he'd be different, and he is. He's a tough, no-nonsense outsider who can't be bought or intimidated. He won't even take a paycheck from the American people. He donates his paycheck to charities across this country. Democrats have been lecturing America about integrity for four years, while their nominee has been writing the textbook on abuse of power for 40 years. If they want to make this election a choice between who's saving America and who's swindling America, bring it on. Joe says he'll build back better. Yeah build the Bidens back better. Our president is in this. She's right. But can we forgive, you know, atrocities like this? Here's from six years ago. You know, they stopped putting them on YouTube. But yeah, take a listen to this. 
Right now, a grim investigation continues on Plum Island. The body of a woman was found there on a beach. Who this woman is, still unknown tonight. And police are now reaching out to the public for help. Right now, our Frank Holland is live on Plum Island. He has the latest on the investigation. Frank? Well, the identity of this woman and how her body ended up on a beach here on Plum Island. Just two of the questions investigators are trying to figure out. The biggest question, did that body land here as the result of a crime or an accident? Still a mystery. A woman's body found on the beach at the Parker River National Wildlife Refuge on Plum Island. We got the call just before 10 o'clock this morning. A couple walking on the beach. They observed what appeared to be a body uh, on the surf line. The woman only partially clothed, according to the Essex County DA's office. The beach closed for hours while investigators searched the sand and the shoreline. Very shocking, sad. People visiting this popular beach on this rainy, cool summer day, surprised to hear about the discovery of a body. This is just such a quiet lovely community just can't imagine something like that happening here we definitely wouldn't have walked here had we known that police say the weather actually helped their investigation very few people were here walking or swimming making it easier for newberry and state police to look for clues investigators also plan to talk to local boaters it's not clear if the woman was killed by an accident or foul play if the body was dumped here or if it washed up on shore. Well, it's undetermined uh, what caused this situation. Deputy Chief John Lucy says even if police can determine the body came from the ocean, that won't provide much help. It's a very unpredictable tide pattern here. And back out here live, I spoke to Newberry Police a short time ago. They say this is still an active investigation. They are asking anyone with any information to contact them. Here in Newberry, Frank Holland, WCVB News Center 5. So many human remains of women and men being found in that same place. It's so bizarre. It is completely bizarre. One would have to think, I mean, that there's no way that this is happening right under our nose. Are you kidding? Kansas, they just stuck a level four bioweapons lab, right? <laughs> in the middle of our agriculture, right? How insane is it? Very. Now let's go to an article. Let's take a look to an article uh, on these bio plum. Well, no. Here we go. Congress repeals. Okay, this is from 2020, right? Now you have to ask yourself as to why the Democrats don't want to sell Plum Island. Ah, this is the Plum Island that's a bioweapons facility. Conservationists have won more than a decade-long fight to stop the federal government's sale of Plum Island. I mean, what? You're not allowed to get on there. We can't have you say, wait, wait, it gets better. Home of a government research facility that also has become pristine wildlife heaven. What? The measure ending the controversial plan to sell the island to the highest bidder was among many items stuffed into the new massive congressional omnibus spending bill, which also includes the latest COVID-19 financial relief that President Donald Trump signed on Sunday. Now, conservationists and the Connecticut New York lawmakers who have fought since 2008 to prevent the sale and development of the island off the eastern edge of Long Island can finally and fully celebrate its future preservation. Richard Blumenthal, oh, 
dick. He doesn't want this being its exquisite environmental treasure. The 840-acre Plum Island, just 10 miles from Connecticut shores, has for decades been the home to Animal Disease Center Federal Research Facility. The center is kept under such high security that little of the island has been touched by development or visitors, inadvertently creating an oasis for birds, seals, and fish and wildlife. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So we're going to protect the national resources, says Dick. They're all protecting this. No one can get on it. You're not allowed on it. You can't go on it. You can't look at it. You're not allowed to. No, no, no. So that was that. Now, let's go to 2010, though, because, you know, now it's like a wildlife haven, 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 haven. So let's go to CBS News. Labs move lifting mystery around Plum Island. It's been the subject of novels, a reference in movies, and the topic of speculation ever since it became an animal disease lab in the infancy of the Cold War. For sale signs. But they're going to be opening up a new lab in Manhattan, Kansas. So my fellow people from Kansas, this has been going on for over 10 years. And yet you didn't know that they're going to have a Wuhan-ish, right? That's targeted for agriculture. So funny. So everyone has spoken up against it. You know, a GSA meeting, you know, the GSA wanted to sell it. People want to preserve it. Oh, no. Silence of the Lambs was taped there. Did you know that? Yeah. And they want to make it a a nature preserve, right? They want to make sure it's perfect. Um, you know, they have this facility to reduce bioterrorism and the GAO says other pathogens known to have been maintained at Plum Island could also cause illness and death in humans, but it's a safe haven. It was done in containment Anthrax could be used as a weapon to target livestock industry. No shoot. So that was one of the diseases that they were studying there. But but we're going to go put it right in the middle of our cattle, right? Right in the middle of our wheat farms, right smack in the middle in the heart of our agricultural belt because it makes sense. Listen to this wildlife safe heaven, right? Before any discussions about development at Plum Island can proceed, officials must first determine the extent of any damage to the soil and water environmentalist Adrian Esposito said. (laughs) Government facilities operate in cloak secrecy. The group successfully lobbied in 2008 to kill a proposed liquefied natural gas terminal in the Long Island Sound. So it seems like they're trying to keep people away from this island. They don't want to sell it. And they don't want anyone looking at it. They're just going to abandon it and leave it there. I see. So that's the other Plum Island, right? So a safety study of the news site is underway after some question the wisdom of opening up an animal disease lab in the so-called beef belt. What could go wrong? I mean, Wuhan was top notch and it fucked the whole world, but we should just stick it right there in our beef belt because it'll be fine. I mean, what are you talking about? It's going to be totally fine. Like, what's your problem? It's going to be totally fine. Well, let's take it uh, a look at an investigative report done in 2008 
about Plum Island. And not the murderous one where all the elites seem to go to and all these women and men turned up dead. Um, but the one that's actually releasing pathogens, anthrax, killing animals. And that's where the stories of the three-eyed frogs that we get in New York City and crazy rats comes from. This is interesting here. Plum Island, which is right out there, become the site for the most dangerous level of biological research. The Department of Homeland Security, which manages the island, is looking at as as the location for a new national bio and agro defense facility. This despite the problems for more than 50 years with the Plum Island Animal Disease Center already located on Plum Island. The new facility would operate at biosafety level four, the highest danger level for biological research. The way the federal government defines it, it involves research into diseases that affect both people and animals for which there are no vaccines or cures. The Department of Homeland Security is bullish about Plum Island as the site for the facility because there's not a lot of livestock hereabouts. On the other hand, Plum Island is smack in the middle of the population center of America between Boston and New York, just a mile off the northeastern end of Long Island. And there are plenty of people here. The Department of Homeland Security is having a presentation on the making of Plum Island, the site of the new National Bio and Agro Defense Facility. Ed Romaine is a Suffolk County legislator and his District includes uh, this part of Long Island. What do you think about uh, Plum Island being the site of this new biosafety level four facility? I have grave concerns. All you have to do is read the Department of Homeland Security's own words in its environmental impact statement, which said they will be working on diseases for which there is no known cure, no known therapy, no known vaccine, which, if released, could create potentially billions of dollars of damage in the livestock industry and obviously could impact the human population. Now, one of the reasons that apparently Homeland Security is favoring Plum Island for this facility is that if it puts it in North Carolina or these other locations, Texas, there's a lot of livestock around. I mean, here you don't see cows much on Long Island or even in southern Connecticut or something. You see a few in southern Rhode Island, but to put it in the heartland of America where there's so much in the way of animals could be a big risk, says Department of Homeland Security. Better an island off Long Island. Off Long Island that has millions of people where the North Fork is a funnel with only two east-west exits, Route 25 and County Road 48, with no really feasible evacuation plan. And while they give us every security, that uh, every hope that they will have perfect security, that everything will work well, and I'm sure that that, there's, that is the intention. However, as we all know, errors can happen, and the impact to Long Island and its population could be devastating. Now, you were through, as a Suffolk County legislator, the fight over the Shoreham nuclear power plant, and that was a real problem to try to uh, challenge the federal government on that. Suffolk County and New York State somehow uh, emerged victorious. But here you have security concerns, the Department of Homeland Security, which is probably more uh, 
oh, autocratic than the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, if that could be. How do you think you can be able to, to beat the Department of Homeland Security? I think that there's enough for us to do. First of all, it's more economical for them to build it somewhere else. It's much cheaper than building it on Plum Island if they choose one of the other five sites. Plus, which the other five sites, many of the, their local officials actually support that development at those locations. The majority of elected officials, Congressman Bishop, Steve Levy, our county executive, myself, the town supervisor of Southhold, are in opposition of this because we feel it presents too grave of a risk that we don't want to expose our population to. And, you know, you weigh everything, the good versus the bad. And on this one, while we respect Department of Homeland Security, we're obviously going to express our concerns. Where's the evacuation plan? What are we going to do? Is there a plan if any of these pathogens escape? How are we going to deal with that? And I'd like to listen to that tonight, but I have to tell you, I start off with grave reservations. Director of the proposed National Bio and Agro Defense facility. What, what does that mean, being the program director, because the thing doesn't even exist yet? Yeah, we, um, I mean, you normally when you build a large federal facility, it takes uh, a lot of years of planning the site, such as doing uh, any uh, preconceptual studies, siting, and, and environmental analysis. And so while we don't have a facility, we, are, we do have a staff that goes through the planning process, the budgeting process, setting our requirements. So we do that now so we can be prepared to build it in the future. Now, you read the Department of Homeland Security's environmental impact statement, for this project, and it appears that the department is very bullish on Plum Island because it says uh, not much livestock in this area. This is on an island. There's a lot of water surrounding the island, but there's a whole ocean uh, to the east. Uh, and some of these other sites, these five other finalists in this competition, are in agricultural areas of the United States. Do I got that right? Do I have that right? You do. And uh, when we started the process, we wanted to evaluate a range of reasonable alternatives. In fact, from the feedback we got from folks from the mainland, well, maybe you should be considering an island, which is what we do in Plum Island. But certainly the water, as we say in the EIS, adds a little bit of a buffer to um, protect against any uh, releases. But um, no matter where we cite it, we are going to apply a layered safety and security protocol, whether it's on the mainland or in Plum Island. On the other hand, this is going to be a biosafety level four facility, right. mm-hmm. which means do research into diseases for which there are no vaccines or cures that affect both animals and people. And there's a lot of people that live on Long Island, along the coast in Connecticut. I mean, this is this is really in the center of the Boston to New York megalopolis, the population center of America. Is this a place to put a biosafety level four facility? And that, that is. And so the guy was saying, it's great that, you know, that we put it on an island so it's secluded. This is where they have no cures. They have viruses and diseases that they make. And he's deaf. This is why he talks a bit funny. So again, I will circle back to an article I did about Timothy Cunningham. This is before COVID. This is before the controller virus came out. He was found dead right? An officer of the CDC found dead face down in a river. Do you remember that? I wrote about that. That was actually a selectively deleted article from 2019 and then republished in 2020, deleted. So I I think we managed to find it because people on Reddit were talking about it.
Um, so it was, I think from like, is it March or February of 2020 that I re put it out there? Uh, it was one of a very, uh, selected article to make sure that they deleted off my server. Now, the question that you should ask yourself is why the heck would they put a level four, right? Facility in the middle of your beef belt. What's going on? Who are the people of Manhattan, Kansas? Who are the people of Manhattan, Kansas's council, county, city that have said, yeah, let's just go ahead and do it? I mean, right there is Fort Riley, right? <laughs> right. It's right up there. But again, ask yourself, why did they put it right there? And now they're pushing impossible burgers. We got to get rid of all the cows because they fart. And it's like, oops, there's no food. Oops. That's what's up. Oops. Oops. We can't foresee tornadoes. We can't foresee floods. We can't foresee a lot of things. Is this it? Is this how we go out? By letting them do that? Why do we need that? Anyway, why don't we go to Diego Garcia? Just saying. I mean, they stopped training there, right? Why don't we send it off to Diego Garcia right off the coast, right? If it's so safe, keep it secluded away from people. Why are we putting it in the middle of all our animals? Oh, hold on. There's a, there's a clip for that where people are discussing this. You know, remember this happened under Barack Hussein Obama, right? That video is from 2008 where the guy was investigating it, right? Barack Hussein Obama did this. Is this it? Here we go. Yes. Um. Fiction. If you take the word government and laboratory, automatically there's conspiracy theories and people wondering what we're doing. When you take that and you put it on an island where nobody's allowed to go to, the theories of it, conspiracies just kind of cycle up. You hear about Nazi scientists and alien technology and DNA modification and, and all of it is just absolutely false. The reason why we're here is to keep hamburgers from being $100 a piece. Plum Island, a small island off the eastern tip of Long Island, New York, a former coast artillery post, is now the U.S. bastion against foreign animal diseases. One thing we don't want people to understand is what we do here is trying to protect the nation's livestock, which protects the food supply and our economy. We do no classified work at Plum Island. All the work that we do, we publish all of our science. Everything is very out in the open. The laboratory was built out here about over 60 years ago. We wanted to make sure when we built the lab that we we're going to have any live virus that it was not on the mainland and could not be spread. The laboratory was built out here on an island to keep it safe. So Homeland Security himself said, we built it on an island to keep it safe. So now they're taking it to the next level, right? Level four, right? And they're putting it in the middle of the beef belt. I mean, what could go wrong? I'm a veterinarian. I became a veterinarian because I care about people, and I care about the public, and I care about the food supply. One of the biggest threats to that is a disease like foot and mouth disease that doesn't exist in this country and hasn't been here since 1929. America needs Plum Island 
because what we do is make sure that foreign animal diseases, diseases that don't exist in livestock in this country are controlled. So if you have a disease like foot and mouth disease, which the last outbreak in this country was 1929, what's an animal's infected? It's infected for three years. That means you have to kill it and you have to bury it. What you have to understand about agriculture is if you go in and kill that herd, you've just killed out all the genetic improvements of 100 years. So bringing that back is going to be very difficult. It's estimated that we had an outbreak of foot and mouth disease in this country. The impact will be over $50 billion just in the first year. It takes $180 billion to get our markets back and to get the economy back and the food supply back. And it could be catastrophic depending on how long it took it to get under control. Doing research on these pathogens is, of course, difficult to do, yet it's sort of exactly what we have to do. And these are places where we can learn about how pathogens will change in certain environments, so what opportunities we might be providing to pathogens in the world at large. You can kind of recreate that in these extremely secure labs to see how will pathogens change. That would give us a huge head start if we could pinpoint where are these pathogens changing in ways that would allow them to have pandemic-causing potential. If we could figure that out, then we could potentially contain them before they start to spread. Plum Island is a very unique place. Many of the research that we're doing, indeed, we are uh, perhaps number one in the world. Our vaccine, the one that we developed, was the first molecular vaccine was against one single, what we call a virus serotype. And South America right now is at the edge of eradicating food disease using vaccines against that particular strain. There is no one-size-fits-all vaccine for food disease. One of the main obstacles is actually Mother Nature itself. Similar to what we have in flu, where the virus is ever-changing and new viruses coming up, is not one virus, it's multiple viruses. They behave differently. They change. They don't stay the same for long. One vaccine to address all of those different viruses, it probably will not be possible. On a scale of 1 to 10 for safety, Plum Island lands at an 11. There has never been a case of a person coming down with foot and mouth disease here at Plum Island, mainly because it's not a zoonotic disease and non-infectious to humans. There are four biosafety levels. This lab that we're in right now is a biosafety level two. You're working with agents that are non-infectious to humans or animals or that have a vaccine or treatment if you do get exposed. There's some viruses that are in our hot list that we want to have vaccines for. And obviously those are viruses that are currently circulating in areas of high risk that could easily come to us. We want to have vaccines that are flexible enough that we can create a new vaccine against that new strain that just came up. What we do in the animal wings, which is biosafety level three, a lot of the work is testing these countermeasures, these vaccines against animals that are infected with foot and mouth disease. The animals are checked for the typical foot and mouth disease lesion, which is a vesicle generally found on the feet. It entails examining the hooves and then scoring the animals based on different treatment groups. And that gives you an indicator of the efficacy of your vaccine or countermeasure. Humans cannot act as a biological carrier, but we can act as a physical carrier of the virus, which is why we shower out and we leave our clothes inside the lab. The animals do not come out of BSL-3. One of our most significant accomplishments at Plum Island Animal Disease Center has been the licensing of the first new 
foot and mouth disease vaccine that you can actually manufacture in the United States and you can vaccinate to live. The cost for developing these vaccines, when you look at the impact, you could pay for the cost of this vaccine in a couple of hours in an outbreak. This is a $1 trillion agriculture economy in this country. This is talking about the cost that your family is going to have to pay for their food. If it's 6 to 8% of your income, that's one thing. What if it doubles and triples? Families can't afford that. So what motivates me to get up every day is the knowledge that I can make a contribution. I can make a contribution in protecting the health and protecting the livestock and protecting this nation and make it more secure and improve the quality of life for everyone. Here's our shithead right there. My name is Carol Clement, and I'm the farmer here at Heatheridge Farm. We raise sheep and goats. We have our own breeding flocks of them. We also raise pigs, cattle, and uh, we've been running the farm full-time for 12 years. I hope we never see another outbreak of food in this country. That would be really terrible. I saw firsthand what it was doing in Ireland and England. The horrible thing was how many animals had to be slaughtered since they thought that was the best way to stop it. So I am very concerned, should it ever be here. If I had to slaughter my farm animals because of some kind of disease, it would be a financial disaster. Um, you know, I, I don't know how any farm survives that. I'm really glad a facility like Palm Island exists to keep the livestock safe. Research is done and animals are quarantined. The virtue of it being on an island is that you can't spread problems to neighboring farms. You've got a, a nice body of water all around it. Being a small farm in the country, we don't have easy access to good vets. I have to find out information myself. I have to diagnose animals. I have to know how to treat. I know I have to have what um, remedies on hand to deal with things. So I, I need more research to be done. I'm glad that the research is being done more locally because a lot of the issues of diseases have to do with the place. Part of the problem that I've seen is that corporations aren't doing research if they don't think they can make a lot of money off it. There are uh, treatments available in other countries that are not available here because no one wants to bother the time to test it because they don't think they'll make enough money off it. So there are things that already exist that corporations here are ignoring that would be really useful to the farmers here. Although we have not had food and mouth disease in this country for decades, we do receive samples from other countries. So we do provide capacity building and diagnostic support to other countries where the disease is endemic. And we recently received a request from Korea to help them with a control strategy for the outbreak that they're facing. So we're exploring the venues to support them with vaccines right now. We train field veterinarians in identifying any of these foreign animal diseases. They go into the field and they investigate any suspect case of a foreign animal disease. When they see a potential case, they take samples and those samples arrive here in this helipad. It's extremely intense. Everything is high stakes, so there is a lot of tension. Luckily, we have a really, really qualified staff, so they manage the stress pretty well. The results of these samples need to come out in about three days to six hours. This is extremely important because that's what's going to help us to either stop movement of animals, establish quarantine zones in the public. They don't really understand what it takes to get that steak or chicken in the grocery store. And also it's cheap. 
we identify anything, we can activate the North American Vaccine Bank here at Plum Island, which has vaccine it to vaccinate foot and mouth disease. And then we can respond to that outbreak and vaccinate the animals rather than kill the animals. If you can predict how a pathogen might change or how a pathogen is changing, then you can kind of take all the steam out of an epidemic. You can stanch it before it even happens. Plum Island is, we have to move on and they are building a new laboratory. Uh, that laboratory is going to be in Manhattan, Kansas, and that laboratory will be able to not only work at BSL-3, which we work here, we'll be able to work at BSL-4. BSL-4 is a level where you wear spacesuits. You're working with diseases that not only kill animals, they kill people, and there's no vaccine. We have to have that capability. So I look at Plum Island has a long history of protecting this country, but we're going to continue on and we're going to have even a better lab and be able to protect the country even better. Wow. So today, so far, you've learned about two Plum Islands, one that seems to have like an epidemic of women getting murdered (laughs) and just so happens to be a frequent place for a lot of perverts uh, that do crack, sell your nation, entertain guests, have rapist doctors with women just missing. I mean, someone should look into that. There are financial records. I'm just saying. And then you learn about Plum Island that was on an island in order to ensure that livestock doesn't get sick, right? That the experiments they do on animals do not uh, affect them, just like we saw in the other base over at Utah that accidentally killed a lot of sheep. So now the smart idea is to take a level four facility and stick it right in the middle of your beef belt, because that makes total sense. I mean, at the end of the day, they do have impossible burgers. So don't worry, you could get your lab grown steaks. Let's take a break. I need some coffee and I'll see you guys in a bit so we can continue this examination of the same name, different place show today. I can feel it coming in the air tonight Oh Lord And I've been waiting for this moment For all my life Alright, now time to get to Hunter Biden I want to remind you guys of this interview And we need to unpack this interview down to promote his new memoir aired today on CBS this morning and he talked about dating his late brother's widow as unusual as that sounds it does happen more than you would think Hunter Biden is speaking about one of the strangest events in his train wreck life his affair with his brother's widow a lot of people look at that and think what were you thinking yeah right what was he thinking right they're talking about the widow Are they talking about his brother's daughter that he was banging, where I've seen pictures of her naked in compromised positions, or the text messages between the widow and Hunter Biden talking about how he's having sex with her underage daughter? Which one is it? Oh, Tori, you're just saying that. Well, let me take a look with you. Let me show you it, because this is the news. It's not just about the stupid photos of him being naked. Right. This is the news. This is what you need to look at. You go through the looking glass. 
You go through here. Now you go through iMessages and you go through crimes against children. I'm walking you through. And here they are. Haley Biden knew. Joe Biden knew. The therapist knew. They all knew. She was only 13. So what happens when Hunter's alone with Natalie Biden? Does the FBI arrest delete pedophiles? Hmm? Hunter Biden's collections of Natalie, the FBI knew about. Yeah, they did. They did. They totally did. Let me zoom it out so we can go page by page. This is pictures of that young girl, young girl. Here, pictures, pictures. All there. All of them. There she is with him. Right? There. Let's just skim right through that, okay? These are the things. So they all knew. They all knew. And no one did anything to save that child. There's text messages where they talk about it. I wonder if I've published those yet. Let me just check. No, I have not. Let me just see. Have I? Um, no. Is it here? Yeah, I can't have that yet. I don't think I put it up. I think I need to put it up. I need to just check one more place. Is it where he's talking about? Um, okay, that's his, his rehab. Nope. Nope. Haley and Hunter. Yes. Here we go. Take a listen to this. I mean, I, what do you mean? I, I mean, can you talk? I, I mean, I'm a, I was already asleep and I'm trying to... Okay, sure. Okay, then we'll talk tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Because, hey. Wait, 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 wait. Al? Al? Yeah? I just... I want to know... Um... I don't, I guess nothing. Is the hunter there? Hunter right there? Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right. I'll see you, Hal. Yeah, see you. All right. So that was one conversation. There's a chat conversation where she's blackmailing him uh, based on the fact that she knew about what he was doing with her daughter. She knew. The mother knew. The father knew. Everybody knew. I'm pretty sure I put it up here. That these are chats with his pimp about hookers, right? Um, so you know he's the one that gets him the hookers. Okay, so they're there. We've um, we're not just dumping the information. We're putting it in a pocket. I could have sworn that it was here. Oh, uh, collection. Ah, it's right here. I knew I put it up there. Here we go. Here's the conversations that he has with the child's mom. And she knows that they are together. The doctor knows. Oh, do you see a child molester? Where was it? Um, I just saw it. It was in the previous one. <laughs> this is like the flow of the conversation, just so you know. So we've put it in a way where you can actually see it. She calls him out. They knew she called the cops. I just saw the word child molester. What? I'm going nuts. I just saw it. Um, because I'm an asshole that doesn't want to self Um, better than the effing dogs you gave away. Um, guys, I just saw it. See, one, <laughs> one thing I wanted to say, um, is that you're going to see 
how she blackmails him in regards to um, what happened between. Okay, there we go. Um, so this shows when the pictures were taken at the time, the age. Talk now or no. She and I need to talk about Keith. I'm on a call with a detective. Okay, that's Liz Cundy. She lives in New Hampshire. Easy to find. <laughs> um, oh, this is a psychiatrist. Oh, which, by the way, um, I think I should drop that in the, in the Telegram chat room, actually, for you guys. Um, where he goes off to the island um, with that pervert doctor. Hold on. Let me find it. We got that chat. Give me a second. We have that chat. There we go. So I am just dropping that in the main chat room for the media that doesn't like to do their homework and just wait to just take it. Um, please do so because people should know. So uh, he would go to Plum Island. Um, the rental that they did was to this place called Blue Something. Uh, Blue Wellness is a spa thing that the doctor had shut down just automatically because he got busted for what he was doing. Um but the shrink knew too. Obviously, shrinks, you know, don't say much. But what's important here is is for people to understand just what a big deal this is. What is this? What the heck is this? Like, why are you with kids? This is this is disgusting. This is disgusting, right? But let alone, it's just a conspiracy theory. We don't have texts where they're admitting that he molested a child. Ah. Also, I'm going to actually put that in an article so I can make sure that goes out. See, because I'm going to talk about all this stuff and let's see who actually does their homework. But I actually know, um, we now know, thank you, counterpart, Joe Biden's secret name. Okay. So it's all on there. People can see it. There's tons of stuff on Looking Glass and they've been organized so you don't have to be like, oh, what am I looking at? You're not looking at anything that you can't understand because we've made it as simple as possible. And the thing is, Plum Island has a lot of dead women. And it seems like Blumenthal, right? Hey, Dick, here's looking at you, kid, um, was uh, constantly there. Oh, and here's something really weird that no one talked about. Just put this on because it was so bizarre. Nobody talked about this. So a 19 year old has been charged with child porn, but he was researching Joe Biden. Take a listen to this. So bizarre. He was, did he find the child porn because he was researching him? Like explain was an abandoned van full of weapons in a North Carolina bank parking lot that would ultimately lead FBI agents to a man who allegedly researched and traveled near the residence of former Vice President Joe Biden. According to a new filing in federal court, that man, 19-year-old Alexander Treisman, was initially arrested in May on a weapons violation and later in indicted by a grand jury for possession of child pornography after authorities searched his phone and computers. Now, according to the detention order signed by a federal magistrate judge, Treisman had conducted online searches of Biden's residence and traveled within four miles of the Democratic presidential nominee's home. According to the judge, authorities also found a checklist believed to have been written by Treisman, which included the word execute. And he allegedly posted an online meme posing the question, should I kill Joe Biden?
In addition to numerous firearms belonging to Treisman, authorities also seized drawings of swastikas and planes crashing into buildings, downloaded images of the 2019 mosque shootings in Christchurch, New Zealand, as well as a note on Treisman's cell phone describing plans for a mass shooting. CNN is attempting to reach Treisman's attorney, but according to the new court document, his attorney indicated that his client has been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, and the court noted that Treisman had no prior criminal history. Although a grand jury indicted Treisman for possession of child pornography, he has not been charged in relation to the weapons in his possession, nor his research or writings on Joe Biden. Where'd that child pornography come from? Hmm? 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 Prosecutors declined to talk about any potential future charges. Hmm. So you're not going to get in trouble about child pornography, uh, about guns and whatnot, but you're going to get in trouble for child pornography that you found while researching Joe Biden. What were you thinking? Both of us had gone through the most incredibly uh, painful loss. And it was out of love. And I thought that maybe that love would bring my brother back. Mm -hmm. And it didn't work. In the middle of that, did you think about how your own kid... How does this guy keep a straight face while he's talking shit like that? Let's be honest. Was hard on the kids... Probably because you were molesting, but okay. Kids would look at this. Yeah, and, and it was hard. That's all I can say. Yeah. It was really hard. Hunter began seeing Hallie Biden after his brother Bo's death from brain cancer. He was still married to his wife, Kathleen. He was interviewed by CBS This Morning's Anthony Mason in advance of the publication of his book, Beautiful Things. He also spoke about the taboo affair on CBS Sunday Morning. When the news of that broke, how did people look at you? I think people were uh, confused by it. And I understand that. I mean, I really do. To me, it's not something that is difficult to explain because it came out of a, a real overwhelming grief that we both shared. And we were. Is that why he was messing with his and trying niece? to do the right thing? And that grief turned into. He's reading a, a hope for a love that maybe could replace what we lost. How creepy is that? And I'm sorry. This just hits way too close. You know, people like this are sick. They're evil. And they are such good liars. But obviously, you can see that he was reading. But he has pictures, nasty pictures, of his own niece in bed with him. She's sending him seductive photos. Like, this is disgusting. Yet, it's okay. It's okay that it's he's done it. It's totally okay, right? That... This was all put out. I was upset that they were all put out because she's a little girl. Those were out there. So they were out there. Obviously, I checked the data to see the dates. And it and it's true. And it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's disgusting that no one is talking about it. It's disgusting that they're not holding him accountable. He lied on his um on his paperwork to get a gun. Um I think the niece, you know, uh, I just feel so bad. This is so bad. And the thing is, everyone's totally fine with it.
you know, media wise, all right? Not the people. How do we allow things like that to, to be elevated and be put where we're paying now out of our own pocket for him to go get high and have hookers and got, do God knows what on Plum Island? Right? Speaking of Plum Island, let's move to understand what man-made plagues really are. Strong-arming. You know, the UK wasn't really happy with the whole plan in 2000. Neither were other nations. And boy, did they feel that. What what plan? I don't know. Think what happened in 2001. And it was there that we crossed over just by a mile or two into rebel territory. And a man approached me. He started describing the horrendous violence that had happened. He said government soldiers came in to their village and killed his five-year-old child and forced him to eat some of her body. That's Jane Ferguson, a journalist who was just in South Sudan, covering a famine that's left about 100,000 people starving and 5.5 million more at risk. She was here in Unity, a state where the UN officially declared a famine in February 2017. It's also where the worst violence in South Sudan's four-year civil war has taken place, and that's not not a coincidence. The violence has destroyed crops and markets and has forced people to flee. As a result, there's no food. In the past, humanitarian aid has been the best solution for famines. But today, the South Sudanese government is blocking access to much of the country in an attempt to starve the rebels. It's why South Sudan's famine is man-made. And so are the three other famines developing in Nigeria, Somalia, and Yemen. Wars in these four countries are threatening to starve 20 million people. No one country is the same, no one conflict is the same, but what we are seeing are some very dangerous patterns. The use of food, or the lack thereof, as a weapon. Fighting groups in each country have created food shortages to starve each other. South Sudan became an independent country in 2011, but fell into civil war just two years later. It started as a personal rivalry between President Salva Kiir and former Vice President Riek Machar. But with each leader belonging to a different ethnic group, it soon became a tribal conflict. What we're seeing now is this war almost cannibalizing, where it's disintegrating into smaller and smaller groups across the, the country. What we saw when we got there was clear evidence of ethnic cleansing. Kind of like what will happen when they stick and open up this facility at the beef belt, right? Is that it? Is that what's happening? Let's check what CNN has to say most recently about hell in Yemen. Man-made famine set to overrun Yemen. You mean weaponizing food, right? This is from March 1st region here in the Middle East, captured in roiling conflict and endemic corruption, where doing the right thing or what may seem as such can all too quickly lead to the wrong outcome. A special kind of hell, that tragic assessment direct from the UN Secretary General describing what it is like to be a child in Yemen. In fact, the United Nations says for just about anyone living in Yemen now, life is unbearable. A newly released report says years of brutal conflict have left two-thirds of the country's population in desperate need 
of help. One official warning, Yemen could slide into a famine unlike any the world has seen for decades. So today, the United Nations is launching a global effort to raise almost $4 billion for Yemen. It is holding a virtual donor conference. A sec- Why do we have to raise money for food when it's a man-made famine? Why are we raising money? Who needs this money? Who needs this money? Man-made famines. Okay, man made famines, Kansas, for all my Kansas peeps, you you guys need to shoot off emails to every single one of your state reps, House, state Senate, right? Um, And your AG. And based on what happened in Wuhan, which was a lever for our lab, since we're sticking to that story, you guys guys are going to protest to not have this laboratory open up in Manhattan, Kansas. Do you understand? Everybody needs to do this. Every single American needs to send a letter and says no. Based on what happened in Wuhan, which is a level four, we cannot risk this in the beef. I don't give a shit how, you know, secure you say it is. There are tornadoes. There are floods. There are earthquakes. There is anything we cannot risk getting into famine. Do you understand? This is why Wuhan was great. Huh. See, there's always a reason to devastation because right now you can stop it based on that. You can protest based on that. We do not want a level four laboratory in our beef belt. Take it to Diego Garcia. Take it to some random. We have so many random rock. Why don't we just revamp Epstein's Island or maybe the submarine island that Joe Biden has? Why do we have to have it? Oh, have we not learned? Why do we not use what was intended for evil and turn it into good? Wuhan was intended for evil. Well, now it's going to do some good because we can say, look what happened. The whole world died. The whole world died. We're not going to kill our cattle, our sheep. No. Kansas, fellow Americans, this is what you have to do. Do you want a man-made famine? Do you want to say, oops, don't worry, we have this incredible burger. Nope, nope, nope. Out you go. But we invested. Don't give a shit. Out you go. It is our damn facility in the beef belt. That's why they got all sick. And now everyone's crazy and has prions, kind of like, you know, in England, <laughs> the the whole laboratory went crazy. And then we had mad cow's disease and it's like, what? So everybody needs to get on it. Everybody needs to get on it. Why are we putting a level four bio research lab in the middle of our beef belt? It's like we're asking to get out. We're asking for it. And this is where we say no. And this is where where all of you should be reaching out to everyone saying, no, no, no. You got it? This is where you use. Wuhan lab devastated the world. This can devastate our actual sustenance. I don't care how good it is. Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas, North Dakota, South. Like, you guys, you share the same beef. Wait, they already know what's coming. Do you know how I know? Here you go. Take a look at what went live as a training for meat marketing consumer basics in Kansas, Department of Agriculture. I want you to look at this. Take a listen. Suzanne, is it in presenter mode for you? Do I need to correct that? Yes. Yes, Yes, please. There. How's that? 
There we go. All right. Very good. Uh, well, welcome. And as Suzanne said, um, and uh, Secretary Beam, thank you for spending your evening with us. It's a big task to give you an introduction to meet science in 20 or 25 minutes. So I will be zipping along through some of my topics. What I tried to do was to give you a little bit of a flavor for the topics that Suzanne asked me to speak about within meat science, but also some key issues within the industry. And then if we want to go deeper into anything, we can cover it during the questions and answers. So as I said, we're going to cover a few topics in a very short time frame, a little bit about meat science and the trends, food safety animal welfare. I just tried to pick out a few things that uh, I thought you would want to learn more about. Labeling, because Suzanne said there was a lot of interest in label claims. Non-meat alternatives, and then a little bit about COVID, its impact on the meat industry now, and potentially specifically down to protein, tissues, the associated other things that come along with that. Fat, bone, offal, um, not A-U-F-U-L, but offal. O-F-F-A-L, the byproducts that come along with the, with the production of meat. So everything that could be used. For- byproducts? You mean like livers and kidneys are byproducts? I think it's part of the animal. How retarded was that? I'm sorry. I actually like eating liver. So it really isn't a quality grading system that relates to marbling in pork. Meat consumption, you can see that meat consumption has continued to rise, the three main species being beef, pork, and broilers by far. Um, And you see also that it has recently um, begun to plateau. Um, And that's probably not surprising with this kind of a a level of increase. I want to tell you just... I'm skipping through to the stuff that... You would have to have these elements. The safe handling instructions. Bad part. All the way from... There we go. Food safety. Hold on. There we go. The important part of what you should be working with, either as you're sharing information with other people or as a consumer yourself. So you can ask any meat scientist kids, and they've all been trained um, about many of the things I'll talk about in the next slide. We really look at three key food safety areas. The biological chemical and physical. Biological, of course, are bacteria. And we think about, you know, some of the big pathogens that I've mentioned here, E. coli, salmonella, campylobacter, listeria. We have a great story to tell in the meat industry. Here's an example with a slide showing the reduction in E. coli contamination. When I first started working in the meat industry, that was when some of the um, unfortunate incidences happened um, with ground beef. And the steps that the beef industry has taken to get that under control all the way from the feedlot through the plant, through how we handle the product, through cooking, even in the fast food restaurants is a huge success story. Our bigger challenge more recently has been physical. So we do a lot of things in an automated way in plants, and that can result sometimes in um, plastic or bone ending up in product. And so physical is a very big food safety contamination as well. All right, let me skip ahead to the alternatives. Let me just see. Is this it? Um, Okay, labels. Some dude talking questions. Okay, where to buy beef in Kansas. What cuts? Hold on. You guys, um, I've linked it up. Um, Where is the alternative meats? Hold on. She talks about... Is she showing meat? She's totally showing meat. 
Oh, I'm just going to want to eat some steak now. <laughs> Hold on. Where's the alternatives? This that um, skews. Okay. The automation is really important and the COVID part. So here we go. Hold on. Limited real estate. Okay, here we go. Look. Commonly perceived that that's done. So because it's not legal, um, then there has to be a little asterisk that says, hey, we're, we're making this claim, even though legally we can't do that. Another um, example of claims are raised without antibiotics, antibiotic-free, which has to um, only be used if um, it's documented, natural, which is a very broadly defined claim, grass-fed, um, and this label happens to have a number of different claims on it as well. So it has organic and grass-fed. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily tied together. And then organic. And most people use the National Organic Program now, which is abbreviated the, the NOP. And that's also run through USDA, but it's run through the, the Ag Marketing Service. Okay, another product where labeling is going to become very important in the future are the alternative meat products. So many of you have already seen plant-based protein products. You've heard about um, the Impossible Burger, uh, Beyond Beef. Uh, here's a couple examples of pork-like products in ground and uh, meatball and patty form. That's generation one. Generation two, uh, which is just going through the whole um, regulatory framework process and being ramped up from kind of an idea and testing purpose is cell-based. And the idea there is to actually create and grow meat cells into meat shapes uh, using fermentation and a process. So Memphis Meats is an example of that. And you'll be hearing more about each of those things. And there's quite a discussion about who regulates this, how is it labeled, all of that kind of thing. All right. A few other trends that we're seeing happen, um, accelerated, of course, by COVID, are um, the the meal kits. So um, the driving up and receiving your product, shopping online. Um, and then one thing you may have noticed post-COVID is some of your favorite products may have disappeared, whether you went to McDonald's and all of a sudden they didn't have biscuits and gravy or you went to look for a, a particular type of pasta or even meat that you liked, people consolidated their SKUs or their product codes uh, to try to simplify things and just to try to get product moving through the system as everything was happening. So, so in other words, they're already removing items of food that you have. Okay? They're already removing items of food that you have. So... You know, if they can't get you, look, there was a video going around. I think I shared it. That's 2027. But September is a very crucial month because October is going to be super red. And we need to pay attention to that. Pay attention to the things that are missing. See how stores are no longer bringing things in, just like she said. So this is very, very important. If people can say that a place that had biowarfare and tested diseases to which there were no cures for as a sanctuary for environment, you better fucking believe that you people in Kansas don't need to have a level four laboratory right smack in the middle of the beef belt. Okay? You need to understand that 
very, very well. Even that base that accidentally, you know, released some things and killed sheep was in a desert. They obviously weren't counting for, uh, you know, the wind. <laughs> but this one is right in the middle. One leak can devastate our whole agriculture. Everything. Everything. So you need to start doing work. You want to stop this? I noticed that a lot of my favorite things were gone. They were gone. Completely gone. You can't trust anything. Just like she said on the labels, you can't do this, you can't do that, uh, or anything. Listen to what else she says here about the skew rationalization. These were trends that were already happening that have been accelerated uh, post uh, during COVID. And- so they had already started downgrading what you're allowed to have in person to examine, right? And they were accelerated during COVID. Kind of like the alarm bells and all these filings I did where they started to disallow people from going to the pharmacy and getting pharmaceuticals dispensed from a pharmacist, but then they have to go to mail order. How the heck do you know what you're getting? At least if you go to a pharmacy and you're supposed to get, I don't know, um, your, your blood pressure medication and you test it and it's not, you can sue the pharmacist. But if it's done online, it'll be a contractor of a contractor in some pharmaceutical company in Mexico or Teva Pharmaceuticals that filled it and they made a mistake. So who are you going to sue? right? It's not going to be your insurance company that sold it to you. Yeah. See what I'm saying? So. And as we move, hopefully toward post COVID and thank you to center for food integrity for the information on this slide, a little bit more about COVID in the meat industry, because some of you have have undoubtedly heard discussions about that. Um, Definitely the meat industry was front and center at the beginning. It had a lot of things that uh, made it unique um, to uh, potentially having clusters, and it's had to work through a lot of things in a really tremendous way. So um, these are some of the, the initial challenges. One of the things that's going to be a fallout from this is that in the meat industry, labor was already a challenge, and now it will be even more challenging. And so it's driving automation. And here you can see some examples of automation and robotics that are used. Um, and Rather than thinking about it as removing jobs from the meat industry, what I see it doing is shifting jobs to more highly skilled trades. So um, you're definitely trading people who were running knives on very basic entry-level jobs for technicians that can run very sophisticated equipment. Um, so that is kind of a, a good news, bad news story. If you Good news, jobs were reduced. Bad news, all automated. Bad news, If you can't automate, you're no longer a farmer. Well, um, I'll stop there. I think I managed to keep that. And we'll stop there on that one. So now let's go back to how this island is dangerous and how Homeland Security said, yeah, we want to keep it on an island because, you know, we don't need this is a chief investigative special report. This was a really good report. The question we're trying to address, I mean, we do our analysis based on, you know, what's the proximity to livestock. And we say that zoonotic diseases, which we do in a biosafety level four, are the diseases that go from uh, animals to humans. They don't go from humans to humans, just animals to humans. So uh, we try to, um, you know, build in those protective barriers. Now, there is precedent for putting biosafety level four in urban areas, such as downtown Atlanta, where they work on very, you know, 
you know, severe uh, human pathogens in Atlanta and Winnipeg and other Fort Detrick and other places. So there is precedent for putting it in an urban area. Did you hear that? Did you guys know that Atlanta had a very high risk laboratory? I just wanted to point that out. Just wanted to point it out. Now, the Department, the Environmental Impact Statement also says no matter where you put it, no matter what you do, accidents will happen. Do I have that correct? Yeah, we uh, we evaluate for the probability of accidents and, and no facility. It's foolproof. I mean, we, we carry some degree of risk. EIS concludes, and we believe in it, if it's right, that the probability of accident is extremely low at this facility, no matter where it's sited. The consequences would, would, would be different for some plumb island versus the mainland because we have a little more protection, but very, very low probability of accidents. Yeah, I mean, before the Chernobyl nuclear plant accident, the Soviets said there's a very low probability. Maybe every 10,000 years we'd have a serious accident. Right. So... You can get a wonder when somebody says extremely low. And the other issue, which I think is in a lot of people's minds now, involves oh, a problem. It's beyond human error, a problem from within. The Fort Detrick scientist who turned out to have been involved with anthrax and spreading anthrax and killing people. I mean, if something of that sort occurs here, and again, we're at biosafety level four involving the most serious diseases affecting animals and people in which there's no cures and no vaccines. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this, why not put it underground somewhere in the middle of America, heavily guarded, so no livestock or no people would be affected if there is an outbreak? But that's something we would consider, actually, no matter where, where we cited at, what, what type of security protection we would need that would come with a site-specific security plan, whether we need a berm or put it underground. Um, certainly, we're following the situation at Fort Detrick, and certainly we are actually going to be involved in watching what the lessons learned that come out of that to see what we can apply. I will say, not just because of Fort Detrick, we're constantly reviewing our security procedures to see, you know, how they can be, uh, you know, improved and enhanced and so on and so forth. We feel with Plum Island, very safe. People have to shower out. You know, they cannot carry anything out with them. So we feel like we've got a very safe facility in place. And again, no matter what you do, there are possibilities in the Government Accountability Office raise the possibility of terrorism. I mean, here's an island, the the ferry that goes between New London and Orient Point, it goes right along that island. I mean, you can see people fishing on boats right, right next to the island. Right. I mean, security seems to be, to put it politely, quite questionable. The GAO was concerned, very concerned, that this exposed island right here, just off Long Island, just to the south of Connecticut, could be successfully hit by terrorists, and they would release, uh, and this is at the Animal Disease Center, uh-huh. they would release animal disease agents. But here you go to, to this, the consequences of a terrorist attack would be enormous. Right. In that light, is this a good place to put this? Well, I think the, that's part of what we'll be doing. It's part of our sightings process. We would um, evaluate what potential um, security threats are, are evident, you know, whether it's the scenario you lined out in Plum Island or any of the site-specific uh, security and what we need to do to mitigate against those threats. I mean, that's what we need to do, understand what the security threats are and how we would mitigate that if that site were chosen. You think about Plum Island being the site of this proposed facility. I think it's uh, too ambitious a, uh, an effort to have number four come to Plum Island. I don't think they're prepared for it, and I think it would cost a lot of money to make it safe to use four and increase from three, which they go up to now. Yeah, they're biosafety level three. And that, that only, only, that, that involves diseases that affect animals. That's right. Biosafety level four are diseases that affect both animals and, and people. Human beings, right. Did you hear that? 
level four humans and animals. Okay. For which there's no cure or vaccine, which, I mean, in Greenport, where you live, you're going to be, well, you're just going to be about a mile and a half from Plum Island. Well, I think a little, little, a little more than a mile and a half. I think about six or seven, but uh, that's still pretty close. Well, I, I just think that it's a, a ambitious uh, project, but I don't think that Plum Island is uh, up to it. Do you think that people are going to be heard tonight? And I recall that you, Mary Ella, have experience with the federal government that, in fact, you worked in the White House during the New Deal. Mm-hmm. Here we are in a new century. Uh, new Deal was well, well known for trying to, uh, to listen to people. Do you think the federal government today, as as you observe it, listens to people like it used to back in those days? No, I think they're a little deaf. Why? Well, I don't know why, but I, I mean, uh, uh, we're having a trouble with uh, uh, Mr. Uh, President, and uh, he doesn't seem to want to listen to anything. He's made up his mind and makes his announcements, and uh, then we're supposed to accept them. Do you think that that will play out with this Plum Island decision by the Bush administration? I don't know. He only has a few months more, so we're all getting very nervous. On the other hand, this decision is supposed to be made That's before right. the Bush administration is out. That is correct. And so we're, we're concerned as to what kind of a decision he would make. And I'm, I'm, uh, I love the number four because it's the perfect number. But I don't think it should be coming to Plum Island. Debbie O'Kane, you've long been involved with Plum Island issues. You're a former executive director of the North Fork Environmental Council. That's correct. What's your view on Plum Island being the location for this biosafety level four facility? Well, I believe that there are still many, many unanswered questions, and we have been, we've had very strong opposition to this um, upgrade since actually 1999. I mean, this isn't a new issue out here. It's been an issue since 1999 when uh, a story first broke in the New York Times. And since then, um, the issue has been raised a number of times, and each time we get a strong showing of the public saying that this is not something that they really are in favor of. I mean, there's been quite a number of um, safety and security issues along with environmental issues for many years. And um, once again, a lot of those questions are not answered, haven't been answered over the years. And um, with our elected officials who are also in strong opposition of this, we feel that um, the biosafety level four is not the um, it's not the thing for, for the east end of Long Island and for Plum Island. Now, years ago, it was before 9-11, mm-hmm. before the, uh, well, the threat of terrorism was mm-hmm. recognized as it is today, before the Department of Homeland Security was even created, yes. Now you have a Department of Homeland Security pushing for the biosafety level four and them saying that uh, this facility, and they seem to be very bullish about Plum Island for this mm-hmm. facility right. is necessary for national security. Now, how are you going to stop that, Debbie? So let me tell you something. I've talked about this before. I've talked about this before. Prions. Kuru, CJD, I've talked about it before. Talked about it before. Now, I brought it and introduced it to you, how animals are fed animals. And when you eat your own type of animal, either that be cannibalism, which we endure to all these animals that are put together. I mean, it's cheaper to just feed them carcasses than to feed them actual meal, right? 
Huh. It's like they knew. Now, someone says this has been done. It was already done on Plum Island. This is an old, old report. But they've taken that level four and they are moving it and it's opening up now in Kansas. This is why you have to do it now. Now that it's hot, now that it's there, now that it's pertinent, now that it's current, and that way you get the crazy lefties to get in with you. We don't want a Wuhan in Kansas. And it's in Manhattan, Kansas, by the way. Very small town. So I'm sure that everybody there can be approached. Manhattan, Kansas. Definitely can approach them. So I am very sure. That all your climate change and peace people, you know, this is what I'm going to say. Wuhan level four lab destroyed the planet. We got Wuhan, Kansas. Hello. I'll put the article out short and simple, but we need to do the work because everybody else is busy analyzing other things. Yeah, we need a no Wuhan lab in Kansas. There we go. We don't need that in our area. We don't need that going up. Now, listen carefully to this discussion here. There we go. This lady, how she starts, go. The island is today and will in the foreseeable future be vulnerable to security breaches and pathogen theft because physical security arrangements are incomplete and grossly limited. Moreover, we question whether the island's obsolete infrastructure is adequate to support even a bio-level safety three lab. Given the island's history of incidents, we also question whether it will ever be able to adequately meet the level of security and safety required of a bio-level safety four. Let me summarize some of our safety and security concerns. The lack of a full-time Federal Protective Service presence on the island. The fact that there is, a no, there is not a no-fly zone over the island. That there is limited surveillance of the island's periphery, the areas outside of the biocontainment and administrative buildings are surveilled by stationary closed-circuit television cameras, which are utterly insufficient. That the island is easily accessible to the general public and there, that there are limited, if any, no trespassing signs to advise the public that it is a government facility so boaters and fishermen line its banks regularly. That Plum Island's fire brigade has limited hours of operation and that local fire departments and emergency personnel have not been adequately trained in specific procedures regarding the handling of hazardous pathogens and materials and are limited in their response capabilities if a full-scale fire were to break out on Plum Island. That background checks on students, foreign researchers, cleaning and maintenance personnel who have access to pathogens and work with or around infected animals are not routinely undertaken, are not done in all cases, and that those same students, foreign researchers, and maintenance personnel are not required to follow strict decontamination procedures and are not fully escorted at all times when and if they do so. We also share the GAO concerns regarding the lack of an incident response plan for incidents um, exceeding Plum Island security capabilities. Some of us are also concerned about decontamination and remediation issues, but I'll address those in my next comments. Thank you. Hi, I'm here tonight to read a statement from Congressman Tim Bishop. I understand that by statute, Plum Island must be considered as a possible location of the new National Bio and Agro-Defense Facility, a biosafety level four facility to meet the needs of Homeland Security Presidential Directive 9. I want to reiterate my strong opposition and the opposition of almost every elected official on Long Island to placing a biosafety level 4 facility on Plum Island. 
From the moment DHS became involved at the Plum Island Animal Disease Facility, I have received repeated assurances from the highest levels of the department that it would not be a suitable location for BSL-4 research. I first received this assurance in a meeting with Senator Clinton and Secretary Ridge in June of 2003. At the time, DHS put out a statement, a statement which read as follows, quote, The island setting and biocontainment facilities of Plum Island permit safe and secure research. Plum Island's biocontainment facilities operate at a biosafety level 3. DHS has no plans in the near or long term for a biosafety level 4 facility, close quote. Subsequent to that meeting, Secretary Chertoff echoed the view that Plum Island would not be a location for BSL-4 research. Simply put, it is our opinion that Plum Island's proximity to major metropolitan areas on Long Island and Connecticut make it an unsuitable location for BSL-4 research, which investigates highly infectious diseases that affect both animals and humans. While we can all agree that Plum Island is not a suitable location for a BSL-4 facility, I do believe that it can still play a vital role in our nation's bio and agro-defense, as it has for more than half a century, as a biosafety level 3 facility. I do not believe that the federal government would be wise to abandon its multi-million dollar investment in Plum Island, including $60 million in infrastructure and security upgrades which are planned over the next few years. While I understand the need for the NBAF, I do not believe it would be prudent for our nation to place all of its bio and agro-defense needs in one basket. Additionally, there is still an important role for an upgraded Plum Island to play with its unique geographic assets and existing infrastructure. Our community has given so much over the past half century to securing this nation. Asking us to house a BSL-4 is simply asking too much. Again, thank you for coming tonight, and I hope you will listen closely to the voices of this community. Remember, this is back in the day when they were putting the lab on an island, on an island, right, on an island, not on in the middle of our food depositories, the beef belt, but on an island. There's two parts to this. I'm just going to play um, after those comments that all the citizens made because they didn't want Plum Island to become a level four. Um, you know, this investigator started to ask people questions. So here we go. It's pretty interesting. Well, the issue is that involves agents that could affect both people and animals. And a lot of people live in this. Hey, people, people, I want you to understand this isn't in Kansas right now. This is from years ago in New York, from over a decade ago, over maybe two, where they were discussing this, okay, to make Plum Island that was a level three into a level four. Once it became a level four, Barack Hussein Obama decided to move it inland, mainland. For Healthy People 2030. And they chose out of all places to put it in Manhattan, Kansas. All right? Smack in the middle of your beef belt. Smack in the middle of our food supply. Our nation's food supply. The food supply you rely on to live. So their concerns are about an island that's close to dense populations. New York, Connecticut, Boston. Right? 
So their concerns is by uh, level three is only animal diseases. Level four is both animal and human diseases that have no cure, no vaccine. And they are putting it right there. It's like they're just giving it to your cows. This area. Yes, but none of them reside on Plum Island. But if there's an accident on Plum Island, and there's been some accidents on Plum Island, that stuff. Well, I would I would hope that if you know if there were an accident, the virus would be contained. Number one and number two, Plum Island works with animal diseases. It's not a primary place of research for human diseases. However, some diseases, some viruses, infect both animals and man. But those, I can tell you, are worked with in the minority. Now, Plum Island has, has been criticized during your tenure as the director. And afterwards, do you think Plum Island has gotten a, a bum rap? Oh, I wouldn't want to comment on that. Uh, do you think there's been some, oh, what can I say, paranoia or unjustified fear in terms of Plum Island through the years? Well, I think there's an un, unjustified uneasiness about uh, possibly possibility of pathogens getting, which are infectious for man, getting from the island to to uh, let's say Long Island. However, you must you must uh, consider that Plum Island is a facility for research on animal diseases, not human diseases. Research on human diseases including those which are P4, are done at CDC in Atlanta, in the middle of the town of Atlanta, across the street from a motel where I have been a frequent guest. <laughs> Do you have open the windows at that motel, Doctor? <laughs> the, the, the rooms were air-conditioned. <laughs> in any event, you feel it's a perhaps safer facility for a BSL-4 I think it's the safest facility of all of those which they're considering. I mean, they're considering Not that I have visited those other five, but I have read about them. And uh, I feel that uh, from what I have read, Plum Island is by far the safest facility. Why? Because it's not in a livestock area. But it's not in a livestock area, but it's. Did you hear that? So they're, 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 listen, they're legit on this. If it's a level three and it's about livestock, it's safe because it's not in livestock area. But they were making it a level four. This is what he was trying to tell the guy, which means that it targets livestock and humans. So now they're going to put that facility in the middle of livestock where they're investigating livestock and human uncurable diseases. In an area well between Boston and New York, uh, the population center of America. But would the Island doesn't work with human diseases. Plum Island works with animal diseases. But if it's BSL-4, it would work with diseases that affect both animals and people. Well, I, I uh, don't share your concern for the safety. I think, it's, I think it's the proper place for Homeland Security to build their new facility. Supervisor, what do you think about Plum Island becoming a biosafety level four facility? I, I'm against it. I'm, I'm certainly supportive of the island in its current format with its current charge and mission as a bio three facility. A bio four facility, that's not the right location for it. We're next to a metropolitan area. The idea of pathogens that have um, 
the overwhelming consequences to uh, human population shouldn't be tolerated near a metropolitan area. One of the arguments as to why it should be on Plum Island is that some of these other finalists in the selection process are in areas where there's a lot of animals and it could affect uh, livestock in the United States. Well, there's not that much in the way of livestock in this area. That's right. But yeah, then you have to reconsider why they're considering putting all their research eggs in one basket. In other words, the proposal is for an end bath facility, this new super research facility. Uh, it makes no more sense locating human pathogens on Plum Island than it would to locate hoof and mouth disease in the middle of the cattle population of Texas. But they are doing that, right? It makes no sense, he says. And why would you put human diseases right by New York? He's correct. So what did they decide? Fuck it. We're just going to stick both human and animal diseases in Kansas. No place like home. Uh, that's the proposal that's on the table is to put all their research eggs in one basket. I'm against that. I haven't seen anything that's environmentally or economically or even science-driven that would suggest that's a good idea. Um, they have separate facilities pursuing separate missions. I think that's worked well historically. If the Department of Homeland Security, with, with a mandate to uh, deal with security, says, no, no, Plum Island is the choice, and President Bush signs off on that before he leaves office, which appears to be the plan in this uh, selection process, what can be done? I don't know if that's the plan or not. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit um, more optimistic than that. I do think they'll have a process that'll try to find a finalist. I hopefully, in a coming new administration, like to see the whole prospect and idea of an NBF go away. Um, I don't think it's needed nationally. So. I mean, not necessarily he's signing off on Plum Island that that could occur, but signing off on one of the six finalists. You, you think it's not going to happen in coming months, as the Department of Homeland Security indicates? I, I hope not uh, any federal official I've talked to indicates to me that that might not hopefully will not be the, uh, the uh, scenario. Of course, if Plum Island is uh, picked and we ha- our hand gets forced, we'll pursue what options we can to stop it. So you have to ask yourself, New Yorkers, Bostonians and um, people from Connecticut were totally against putting any human uh, research around their area because they're densely populated. And then they said, look, if they stay as a bio level three, which is just about animals on Plum Island, I'm game. I mean, what? Maybe an animal escapes like that really ugly monster from Plum Island, the Montauk monsters, they call it. Uh, you know, the, the frogs, the fish, the rats in New York, whatever, uh, doesn't seem to bother people. Right. But it became a level four under Obama where they moved it. Okay, the agreement happened after Obama was voted in. So this was all a discussion before Obama was elected. This is from 2008. Okay, it was a level three, always there on Plum Island, always doing its thing, really helped the United Kingdom and Korea with um Man Cowan's disease. So um, it became a level four during Obama. And during Obama, for some reason, the people in Manhattan, Kansas, decided it would be a great idea to put such a facility in the middle of the beef belt. That's the thing. It's crazy. Now, let me just be a devil's advocate. On these issues of protecting our livestock, protecting against bioterrorism, I mean, all parts of the country are supposed to do their part. That's right. What's your argument in terms of your area of Long Island maybe not doing its part? No, we're doing our part. Plum Island has been a neighbor of us for 50 years. They serve a vital role. It's still important to this country. It's important to this world. I'm a proud host of Plum Island as a facility in my town. I'm a proud host of their history here. Uh, but as a Bio 3 facility, it still serves a vital role. I think it needs to be invested in, and its role expanded under the aegis of a Bio 3 facility. 
but Bio 4 is just uh, a line that shouldn't be crossed. That's off the table for me, yes. State Senator Ken Laval, how do you feel about the Plum Island facility being upgraded to uh, biosafety level four? Yeah. Here we go again, and we've always been opposed to it. I've been opposed to it. Community has been opposed to it. Um, today, we're, uh, we've listened to um, Plum Island people talk about what they do at level three, and uh, I'm leaving with some concerns at level three. We get to level four. I, I don't believe there will be an elected official that would support uh, level four, but I'm speaking for myself, and I'm opposed. What what are your issues with level four? Why are you against it? Well, I think, you know, we're dealing with very, very serious things. When Whether we're talking about Shoreham or other kinds of issues, we are an island. And uh, evacuation, uh, it becomes very, very important. Uh, we have an aquifer that we're trying to protect. There are issues uh, about things, getting a possibility getting into our water. Uh, we've heard today about different things emitted into the atmosphere, even though they're burned at extreme heats. So um, I think um, there there are a lot of concerns for people in a more populated area. Um, Level four would seem to me uh, are would be acceptable in areas where you literally have uh, lots of of miles between the facility and the people. Um, So I don't think this is a good fit for level four. The proposed upgrade to biosafety level four of your facility would uh, change it a lot, wouldn't it? Well, basically, they're going through the process right now with six sites, and they would build a brand-new facility, not the facility that we're currently in. So if Plum Island was selected among those six facilities, they would build an entirely new laboratory at Plum Island. Now, as I understand biosafety level four, it involves diseases that affect both animals and humans for which there are no cures or vaccines? What you have to understand about biosafety levels is there's four different levels. We currently operate under three of them at Plum Island right now. And what they're all about is protecting the scientist. And so if we have... Nice way not to answer the question, huh? He's <laughs> like... With no cures or vaccines, he's like, what you need to understand is... Have an unknown agent come in, or we don't know, or we have one come in that kills animals and humans, a biosafety level like four gives us the ability to protect our scientists. And as we know emerging pathogens, new diseases coming up, a biosafety four would give us the capability to send in a scientist that was reported with an agent that killed people and animals. They could study that. And the scientists would work in sort of like spacesuit-like garb? The scientists could choose to either work in, with a glove box, where you have an enclosed glove box, where you go into the facility and stick your hands in and manipulate the sample, or the, the person could go into a positive pressure suit that they would put on. Now, the Department of Homeland Security seems oh, boosterish on having Plum Island for this facility uh, based on there being not much livestock in this area, while there's a lot of livestock in the sites of the other five finalists. On the other hand, if some of these diseases also affect people too, and they're serious, life-threatening diseases with no known cures or vaccines, and there's so many people in this area, I mean, just consider the the megalopolis between Boston and New York, and here's Plum Island right in the middle. Don't you think Plum Island might be a risky place for a biosafety level four facility? I think that Plum Island provides some additional security for 
uh, diseases such as foot and mouth disease that are transmitted by aerosol. But I think it demonstrates by CDC being in the middle of Atlanta that you can operate these biosafety level four labs safely in, 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 an, in an environment because technology is today that you can remove these viruses and, and bacteria and other agents with the technology that we have in our new laboratories. Technology's improved a lot since Palm Island was first built 54 years ago. In the draft environmental impact statement, the Department of Homeland Security says that accidents will happen no matter what uh, uh, efforts are made to prevent them, they'll occur. Do you, do you agree with that? The thing about it is, is that there's always risk in any operation. But what you do in a bi-level facility like Plum Island, if you look at our facility right now, we have a box within a box within a box. And it all comes down to people training in a facility. And so if you build the right facility and you have redundancies in your security and with your safety, and you have the right people hired and they're trained, as you can see our people are trained here today on the simple process of shipping a sample, you can operate safely. And what you have to remember is that these facilities are... But a brigadier general wasn't trained safely, and he totally screwed up and sent live anthrax. Mm, all right. Box. So we're, they're, they're explaining to people that they're like babushkas, right? Kind of like the, the name Plum Island known for perverted and tons of murdered people buried in the sand or out in the beach, just happens to be the playground for Hunter Biden, too. And a place which is now being moved as a level four to Kansas. That is insane. We really need to get busy because they will annihilate. Man-made famine is how you can... Control the population. Uh, if you can't eat, oh, then you're screwed. Now, let me show you something from 2020. This is quite interesting. Quite interesting article. Look at that. Manhattan, Kansas. What? Wait, hold on. What's going on here, Tori? Okay. Exposing <clears throat> covert actions since 1978. So here is where this new facility is going to be built. Smack in the center of America. Doesn't that sound safe? So far. So apparently Plum Island, the location of U.S. Army Chemical Corps based in Fort Terry, 1952 to 56, was established to pursue a program, research and development to certain anti-animal biowarfare agents. Um, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security continues to operate the Plum Island Center while they build a new home for the laboratory in Manhattan, Kansas, scheduled to open up in 2021 is the National Bio and Agro Defense Facility. <laughs> agro Defense. So you're going to put all of these, all of these diseases, both human and animal, in the middle of your food supply. Sounds super legit. Nabasa Island is the location where the Navy was investigating the possible presence of a biological toxin around the time that agents were reported to have brought dangerous microbes to the island in preparation for a biological attack on Cuba. That was in 1971 with African swine fever virus. Oh, I see. Hmm. Maybe that's a racist name. Because it was an African pig fever virus? I don't know. Cuban outbreak of swine fever linked to CIA, headlined in January 9th, 1977. Article by Drew Featherston and John Cummings in Newsday, a Long Island, New York daily paper. 
Oh, wow. The U.S. intelligence source said that in early 1971, he was given the virus in a sealed, unmarked container at Fort Gullick, an army base in the Panama Canal Zone. The CIA also operated paramilitary training center for career personnel and mercenaries at Fort Gullick. Huh. So I'm sorry. Wait, did we say African? I just want to see that again. African swine fever virus. No. Let's starve the Cubans. Let's get them all sick. Efforts to explain away the outbreak as a natural occurrence do not hold up close examination. The theory that the food waste from Spanish aircraft were fed to domestic pigs falls to address that Cuba, like the United States, had always kept their nation disease-free through strict importation quarantines. Cuban investigators claim that ASFV, the African swine flu fever virus, broke out simultaneously in two distant locations. Germ warfare experts say that contemporaneous sites of infections are unnatural and point to a deliberately caused outbreak because it is impossible to disprove the logic of meth methodical scientist dictates that germ warfare talk cannot be ruled out. CIA assassination plots, some of which involved germs and the Bay of Pigs invasions, stands as acknowledged covert acts by the United States government to force regime change upon Cuba. I mean, they want to force us into a regime change, don't they? 49 years after the biological warfare attack on Cuba, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security continues to operate Plum Island Center while DHS builds a new home for the laboratory at Manhattan, Kansas, scheduled to open in 2021 to be known as the National Bio and Agro Defense Facility. USDA will own, manage and operate the new facility as it's formally as it formerly did at Plum Island. According to the DHS website, the federal government will execute a plan to provide a seamless transition of agricultural defense mission from PIADC to NBAF that includes an overlap of operations to make certain that there is no interruption of the critical science and the operational capabilities. Here are some excerpts from the JFK files on the warfare plans against Cuba. The group then burned to a discussion of number 32, agricultural sabotage. General Carter emphasized the extreme sensitivity of any such operation and the disastrous results that would flow from something going wrong, particularly if there were obvious attribution to the U.S. He went on to say, however, it would be possible to accomplish this purpose by methods more subtle than those indicated in the paper. He mentioned specifically the possibility of producing crop failures by the introduction of biological agents, which would appear to be of natural origin. Mr. Bundy said that he had no worries about any such sabotage, which could clearly be made to appear as the result of a local Cuban dis affection, or natural disaster, but that we must avoid external activities such as the release of chemicals, etc., unless they could be completely covered up. Gosh darn it, those JFK files just coming back up. Thank you, sir, for releasing those files. The question that one should ask is, here we were, 50 over, what? No, over, over, oh, like almost 100 years ago, <laughs> per se, just under 100 years ago, planning on using biological agents to make it look natural, the disease spread. And we'll use chemicals as long as we could cover that shit up. This is it. If we could do this 70 years ago, what do you think we can accomplish now? 70 years ago, we hardly had phones on the wall. 
we're still talking through pay phones, I guess. If did we? I mean, some people, yeah, people had phones, but we had black and white TVs. You got to think. They're being so brazen on the one hand, the laws don't apply to them. And they're telling you that so they can put you further into that box of desperation that you are trapped. There is no way you can fight them. They will fight you with every fist they can re. They will squash you because they don't get in trouble. And on the other hand, your money is being used to kill you. Your money is being used to put you in order. Your money is being used to annihilate you. And now there is a very, very strong possibility that the minute this lab opens, some kind of mistake, like in Wuhan happened, occurs. And this is why it's very, very important that we demonstrate how Wuhan destroyed the planet and we can't have this facility in our beef belt to destroy our nation and our sustenance. It's a very solid argument. No one can argue that. And I'm sure you can get the left to join you. The left will join you on this because they're all about safety. No, no, no. China, your lab messed this up. Why are we putting this in the middle of our ag belt? Why are we doing it? That's it. We got this. You just got to make the noise. You got to put it loud and clear. It's got to be loud and clear because if it's not loud and clear, no one will hear you. And it's got to be coordinated and fast. So for those of you on the main channel, we'll coordinate the time that we are going to send out letters to the Kansas personas, right? On behalf of America, not as Kansas residents. And then those of you in the Kansas group, Get together and send it as constituents. Come on, Kansas. There's no place like home. Let's pull back that curtain and get it done. Get it done. On that note, I will see you tomorrow night. God bless. Mm -hmm.